0: Hello and welcome to the writers and illustrators of the future podcast. This is John Goodwin, your host. This podcast is dedicated to the aspiring writer and artist and will provide inspiration and tips from top professionals in the field. If you've been listening to this podcast or are new to it, I thank you very much. I would also appreciate if you took a moment and followed on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. In this episode, we're going to tackle a very sensitive subject, often used and more often misused in science fiction, politics. This week's guest is Joe Montaldo. He's been a guest on this podcast before on our very fun New Year's Eve resolution show, where we talked about the resolution to write and submit a story to Writers of the Future. Joe's a host on multiple award winning shows UFO Paranormal, News on the Flip Side, and The Centralist Radio Show. The Centralist is a political show. Joe takes the middle ground and focuses more on doing what is best for the USA and the world and not what's best for the politician. And from this platform, he has done hundreds of shows. He's also a very well-read show host, both fiction and nonfiction. I figured he'd be the perfect guest to discuss the topic of politics in fiction. Welcome back, Joe.
1: Oh, well, thank you. Thank you, John. You know, it's interesting you brought that up because uh, I was back playing around on y'all's site today. Uh, I think i trying to get myself three credits. Ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about the site where you can go learn how to write because God knows I need all the help I can get. I'm, I'm not going to act like I can write but uh john and emily turned me on to this Ooh, i don't want to say how long ago <laughs> it's embarrassing <laughs> but anyway I was, but i was thinking about that because i was i was reading i was in about the middle of the book he sent me about l ron hubbard and for some reason it triggered something in me that made me want to go back and look at the site on something else i wanted to add into something i've been thinking about writing or maybe not thinking about writing i've actually started writing so it's more like i've been kind of Putting like it's it's like a jumble of paragraphs at this point. Let's just say it's like that. Just I got them spaced out and segregated because they're going to go in different places. But I got to go with the way my brain works. Unfortunately, that's just <laughs> the way it works. But no, I love this particular topic because built in to a lot of sci-fi is a lot of politics. And whether we want to admit to it or believe it or not, sometimes politics takes a side. Uh, you know, sometimes it don't. Sometimes it just gets in, throws it in to, like it should be. I've seen a couple of, like the new Expanse series that's out, they're heavy in politics. Yeah. But I noticed the show itself, or the main characters itself, don't so much take a side. They just take the course of what should be the right thing to do. And ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't seen Expanse, you should really check it out. its I'm not going to lie to you, it is heavy in politics. Uh, it gives you three factions to deal with, and it's, it's very hardcore and to its politics, but It lays it out in such a way that it doesn't matter what side you may be on, you can get behind someone. You can get behind the Earth, which which are probably more conservative. You can get behind the Martians or or the uh, OPA, which are probably a little bit more liberal, or somewhere in the central. So you can actually get behind a character and really enjoy following it through their politics. But they do present it as politics here on our planet are today. Uh, How can I say this politely? Uh, Miserable, aggravating, and irritating, and a few other words I can't say on the air, but. Uh, so they, they do present it that way so you can look into it. And it's always been a touchy subject because when I'm talking to someone, especially when I'm talking to younger people about reading anything sci-fi or watching anything sci-fi, I want to be real careful with mentioning uh, the words politics, the word politics. Because, it all, you know, in today's society, it has very negative connotations. And so I don't want to turn someone off of a series because I, I bought something about bad politics. But in this series, you really can get behind it. You can really enjoy it for what it is it is very politically based uh it gets behind different factions and you can walk behind it also it's also a great sci-fi i'm not gonna lie it's a lot of fun sci-fi it's not like star trek where you know in star trek world everything is great (laughs) it expands everything not so much yeah Uh, so but it is really and you know and you can read them Uh, i think all six years are available now or all five years are available and again you're going to get more out of the book than you are out of the series. It's like anything else that's, you know, any any good book, unfortunately, it's hard to take a really good book and make it into a really good movie. There's been some people who have done it, like Dune and a few others, but it's hard. Uh, because even in Dune's case, if you go back and read the book, there's a lot missing in the movie. And it's a three-hour, 20-minute movie full of, uh, just full to the tilt. But still, and that's another movie that has
0: a lot of politics in it. Yeah, dude, definitely a lot of politics. Yeah, it, it had a lot of politics,
1: and, and you know he he wrote that way. Now, depending on what writers we're talking about or, or what directors or, or whatever, whoever the movies may be about, you, you may see a movie lean one way or another. I prefer when they do it the right way. Uh, they, they do it down the middle, and you can take whatever side you want to take and follow the movie or the series or whatever it may be along because I want to enjoy it. You know, I may not agree with this political view or that political view, but that's life. You know, I'm not going to agree with all the views, especially in today's world. So uh, I, I don't have a problem with that. And uh, and it does offer you sides, just like Dune did. Dune offered you sides. You didn't have to follow the guy, you know, who was about. Um, there's also, in case you haven't seen Dune, there was, there's also a lot of religious connotations in there as well. Yeah. Just uh, so you just, you know, so it doesn't catch you off guard. If you haven't watched it, you should see the movie. You should watch the original you can watch the remakes. They're not horrible. They're not great, but they're not horrible. You can watch those as well. I think there's four. And, of course, there's a new one coming out. Well, last year it was supposed to come out. But anyway, sometime later this year, early next year, we see we should see a complete remake of the original series of Dune. I've heard good things about it, but until I actually see it, uh, there's no way of knowing. But it does. It's going to lean heavy in politics.
0: And yeah. Well, the book itself is very much – Frank Herbert was very much um, – Giving a, a political side because you've got the Harkonnens and um the Russians. You
1: know, that's who they were. What's that? This is the Harkonnen for the Russians.
0: Yeah, yeah. So you've you've got that type of you know all those different political factions and how they, the backstabbing, all the various things that gets done. The you know the various intricacies with the politics. But then you've also got even earlier. Um, I mean, Foundation with Isaac Asimov. Yes. Uh, the Moon is a Harsh Mistress with Heinlein. And then two of the biggest ones that have had the biggest comeback, I think, of of late with all the recent cancel culture and some of the stuff that's been going on. You've got 1984 by George Orwell and Animal mm-hmm. Farm by Orwell. Both of those have gotten a lot of attention. And they did well in bestseller lists. with only the, I guess, the news speak that's happening right now. Yeah. You know?
1: the, 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 and people, if you haven't read... 1984. You really should. Whether you agree with the book or God, because there's parts of the book I'm like, whoa, and there's parts of the book I'm like, oh. But still, if it's something, you should just read it just to experience it. Uh, you may not agree with it. You may agree with it. A lot of the cancel culture is going to agree with part of it. A lot of the cancel cultures not agree with other part of it. Uh, it lays out society in a much different way than it is right now. And I think you should read it. I, I think for the uninformed, it would be an eye opener. That's the easiest way I can say it. Uh, there are good books like that, um, and somebody just recently told me they revisited the day the Earth stood still for its political, and, you know. And, and when I thought about it initially, I didn't feel to be as political as he was making it out to. But when I went back and watched the remake, I was wrong. Of course, there is more politics in there than there is other things, but but that's yet another another way of presenting politics in, into this. He's saying, look, they came here to unite the planet and the planet basically gave him the bird finger. Uh, so, I mean, because the factions of the world, meaning the powers to be, couldn't get along. Yeah. They, they just, they, they each everybody had their own agenda, which is politics today, and some agendas cross with each other and some agendas don't, and then some agendas are very hostile to each other. And you see that in, in movies like that. You see that in series like The Expanse. You see that in a couple of things that uh, John was just talking about. There are things laid out uh, that you can see. And you can go back, um, what was it? You can go way back to the first color uh, sci fi ever made. It was, um, oh, it's going to go right out of my head, it isn't it, just because I brought it up? Uh, oh, man. Leslie Nielsen was the lead actor, and who turned out to be a comedian later on. Oh, I can't believe I can't remember. It was the first UFO I've ever seen on TV. <laughs> I can't believe War of the Worlds? Planet. No, Forbidden Planet. Okay, um, and Forbidden Planet was was a different kind of politics, but still, politics came into play there, and and to what you know the Earth just thought about the guy's planet that he had the things he had found on his planet. He, of course, Earth is greedy and wanted everything that was found there. It was just another form of politics and sci-fi. Out of everything I've seen, somehow or another gets away with politics that you will not see in other genres. It just it has a way of stuffing like Babylon 5. It's one of my favorites because Babylon 5 is now about 25 years old and uh, it has a lot of great quotes in it. But what's interesting about Babylon 5 is it truly presents how Earth will be in space. If you watch this series, you will really, just like Expanse, you will really get an idea of how we're going to move around in space, how we're going to start with a base on the moon and then a a, a launching platform then a base on Mars and then Things out in the asteroid belts, and then things around the moons of Jupiter and Iya and, and Saturn, and places like that, and then out in the Oort cloud, and then finally we'll get out of our solar system. And that's truly how we're going to do it as a race. I, I mean, I, I've talked to Michio Kaku and Neil Rice Tyson about this on the air, and they agree we're going to take stepping stones to get out of here. And in both these series, it, it shows you the politics of the different sides at bay, how they're going to make their way through the universe. The only difference is. In Babylon Five, Earth is united. Well, I guess it is. It, 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 it's a, a united world. Well, I guess it isn't Babylon Five too. Uh, so it's it's Earth against the other factions. But each faction represents, you know, a more a, a faction here on Earth. Like, you know, like the um, like the minbari might be. Well, they wouldn't be anything. They it would be the Centauri. They would be like the Russians or the Chinese, actually. Uh, and then each one has a representation. It just shows you how on this. On this huge space station in space, that politics going up. There's ambassadors there from Earth, ambassadors from a lot of different worlds, and they're doing their political thing every day. So we managed to get off Earth and get into space. And now only do not only do we have politics at home, but we've managed to have politics with extraterrestrials. So, so and so I, I have to give them credit. It's a well done series. Uh, Expanse is a well-done series, too. It just it really puts you in the seat of where mankind may be in 100, 150, 200 years in real. And it's in real time for us because the politics will be the same. We we will still be vying for minerals and resources and places to go in space and it'll be there. The only thing I'm hoping is by then there won't be, everybody won't be trying to blow each other up. You know, but even that you can find in sci-fi.
0: Yeah, one thing, I mean, it's interesting with science fiction because science fiction I think is inherently a political genre. Any future or alternate history it imagines a wish about th- how things sh- should be and a warning of what could be. And I think one of the stories that, I mean, you've got, there's so many others, like the Man in the High Castle by Philip K. Dick. You know, um, that was just an alternate America where the USA is being run as a totalitarian state where Germany and uh, Japan won World War II. Or right now the, the big, uh, The Handmaid's Tale that's, that's a very scary future, but but what uh, is said, uh, that this, it's none of its fiction. It's all can be seen out there right now, different aspects of what is covered in Hemingway's Tale. Brave New World with Aldous Huxley, Ursula K. Le Guin with The Dispossessed, Foreign Night 451, Ray Bradbury. Um, oh, Ray, I forgot
1: all about Ray Bradbury.
0: Yeah, uh, definitely with that one. That's, that's totally political there, the, the book oh, burner. Yeah, no. And well,
1: you're I mean, talking
0: about Wells with the Time Machine, Starship oh, yeah. Troopers my wells
1: wells laid it out pretty hardcore and then he did some other stuff besides that some of his shorter writings too but it's um it's it's just weird how you can't seem to escape it in sci-fi it's you're you're right it is it's just built in yeah uh, you can get it out i mean i'm sure you can write uh, or read or write or make a book or a movie without there being politics just you know following one alien along whatever the alien's doing or, or something along those lines or you know, maybe discover a new planet where there is no politics. But you're right; inherently, it's there. I don't, I don't think you can really get out of it. It's, it's a, it's a hard thing to get to get around. You know, I was, I was. We've been doing some time travel shows on the network lately, and and, and what they call O parts, out of place parts. And ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know what out of place part is, it's when they find something like a battery or a cog or or some type of wrench or something in a D, in a geode or a piece of coal that's a million years old. Remember, we're supposed to be the pinnacle of life on this planet. And we've only been here for 2 million years. And really, we've only been civilized for about 12,000 years. So when you start finding things that date back a million, a million and a half, 800,000 years, or 10 or 15 million years like the one found in the coal mine, where did it come from? How did it get there? So sci-fi takes stuff like that and they just eat that up. So you can write something about, you know, a civilization from the past, a civilization from the future. It's like if you were to imagine those two sunken cities off the coast of India that we found from the last tsunami that date back about 12,000 years, I imagine there's two really good novels there. You know, How did the cities get wiped out? Some probably good good sci-fi. And I guarantee there'd be a lot of politics of the time in there, which would have been the Indian culture at the time. But um, I would imagine you find that. And then when you look, you know, a friend of mine brought me a book on uh, Indian beliefs. And what I mean, I'm talking about India, people, country India, not not Native Americans. And, uh, man, so in case you didn't know, they're a very political society, just in case y'all didn't know. But even in their writings and their genre of of things like flying things in in the sky, you know, 5,000 years ago, 7,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, it sounds like sci-fi, but for them it's real. They don't think it's sci-fi. For me, it sounds like really, really good sci-fi with some really heavy-duty politics in it. Um, you know some kind of war blazing across the skies but it, it doesn't matter what it is whether it's old you can go back 200 years and find sci-fi that fought. well look at Frankenstein somebody told me well there's no politics in Frankenstein I said then why are they chasing him down in Chile <laughs> there's lots of politics there man so it was discrimination I said there was it was a lesson to be learned there and Mary Shelley wrote that what 150 170 years ago I'd have to look it up to be sure but um you know, when you when you look at things like this, you got to wonder. You know, was this intentional? Was, this side, was the sci? Was the politics of the lesson intentional? We know people. If you're watching anything that uh, Gene Roddenberry wrote, it's in, it's embedded in there. He actually, even in his old westerns, he embedded a lesson in everything he wrote. So that's just there. You know, whatever the lesson may be. You know, like the first black and white kiss on television. That's a sci-fi. That sci-fi had that option. Not just that. Come to think about it, sci-fi had a lot of firsts on television that no other series was brave enough to touch. But for some reason, science fiction could get away with things that other people couldn't. So I found that interesting. I mean, you know, and when you get into Star Trek, the politics of Star Trek from the original series, it was pretty heavy. in You know, they were really trying, Roddenberry had a thing that he was trying to teach humanity lessons. Um, you know why? I don't know idea. Don't, I don't think it was about money. I don't know why Rodenberry did it. And even when the new generation came out, they were still embedding lessons in, in those series. And each, each and every episode had some little lesson they wanted. to I'm no, not the only ones who did it. Lost in Space did it. I mean, you can go back to, um, oh, what is his name? He, he produced all kinds of weird sci-fis in the 50s and 60s. Uh, I'd, I'd have to go look at his name. Ian, oh, what the hell is his name? But um, see, here's what happened. You get old your brain goes. But uh, he had at least five or six really popular series back in the day, from Lost in Space to the Giants and all kind of other series in between, uh, the time travel people people. They went back in time. And every one of those series had politics in it. You couldn't get away from it. Yeah. Uh, some Somehow or another, they managed to pull off, Well, what was the one two thousand leaf believed to see? Uh, that's the 60s, maybe early 70s, late 60s. Serious politics. And we're talking about nuclear weapons. Um, and yet, there it was, and, and somehow or another, they played it off, got a three, got a movie, and I think a three-year series out of it, and yet somehow managed not to get in any trouble. You know, I go back and watch these. I, mean, I was watching uh, Buck Rogers from the 25th century the other day. The stupidest thing you could possibly watch. Oh my God! If they were to say things like that today, the cancel culture would lose their mind. I mean, they would lose their mind. They had the little beagly beagly bigly robot hitting on girls. Oh my god, it would just not go over real well today. Um, so it does show that, that we've made progress, I guess you can call it progress. I, I don't know how much of what's going on today is progress and how much of it's just I don't know, hate or something. But I have noticed that in like S- Star Trek Discovery, their politics have changed. And that 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 went from a series of, of let's be light and love and change. Change the world to, oh, my God, the world sucks. If Gene Roddenberry was alive today, he'd probably lose his mind over that. And I'm going to tell you this, people. It's a good series as long as you don't take it as Star Trek. If you take it as sci-fi, it's a lot of fun to watch. You've got a lot of craziness in it. It's great. But if you take it as a Roddenberry piece of work, oh, no. It is not Star Trek in any shape, form, or fashion. That is not what Roddenberry thought the future was going to be like. And he even laid down the future that where that's going on that's when Kirk was probably a first officer at the time. So we already had a good idea of what was going on at the time. And somehow or another, Paramount just said, well, we're going to rewrite everything. And uh, you can't do that when you've got a genre that's that long. I mean, what do we yeah. got? Six series in it, seven series plus all the cartoons. And even even the cartoons, uh, like Thundercats and, and uh, the ones that uh, Transformers, all of them had lessons in it, all of them. And they were usually something politically based. Uh, so, even when we were kids, before we were even smart enough nobody being indoctrinated, we were being indoctrinated. It's being put into our heads. You got to choose a side. You know, most people are going to choose a good side or the you know the guy in the right and you know, the guy who's doing the right thing, but not always. Uh, so I've always found it funny that they usually sci-fi usually lay, lay out at least three sides. I guess that way you know for the middle, the left, and the right, everybody's got something to choose.
0: So now, when you when you do your show, the centralist. So that you, you basically take down the middle so you can have your guests from either side and just be able to just carry on. Yeah, that conversation yeah,
1: with them. It, well, that way it doesn't turn into a fight. Um, when I used to do politics, uh, hardcore politics on the on news on the flip side, uh, it was different because we still took a, a middle view, but we didn't give the guests any leeway whatever their crazy left or right views may be. Today, it's a little different. So today... Usually if, if we're gonna do if we're gonna have guests, we'll do a two hour show. The first hour will just be the news. We'll just present the news to you as news. No opinions, just the news. So we'll say, hey, look, this is the source of the news, this is where news came from. Check out the source for yourself. We recommend this story, blah 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 blah. Now in the second hour when we have a guest on, sometimes we'll we'll go back and cross over those stories. Um we'll go back and see what the left or the right really believes and, and today. when I was a kid, the left and the right were only about this far apart. Today they're like this. I mean, it's, it's, it's like night and day sometimes. And, and, and what gets me is if the other one starts agreeing, the other one changes its mind. It's, 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 they're like a bunch of 12 year olds, not even that, a bunch of eight year olds fighting with each other today. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. And I don't even know what to think about it. And these people get so mad. You know, I got an interview coming up with Mayor de Blasio and, um, the more I listen to him speak, the harder I think this interview is going to be on me. Uh, even being in Central, he is, he is, you know, I'm like, okay, well, we'll see how it goes. But look, when I, when I did a bunch of scientists on the network, because I did, it, what, 14 in a row, I thought, one, I thought it might be a little hard on our guests. And two, I figured, oh, somewhere along the line, I'm going to offend someone. But no, it went over real well. Uh, we, we got into the science of what they wanted to talk about, and then we got into the science about what I wanted to talk about, and the show seemed to flow really good. That's, I think that's one of the reasons Science and Beyond made it to the uh, next level. The po- oh, by the way, people who you know somebody podcast and podcast, tell them Science and Beyond, Science and Beyond. <laughs> tell them, Go vote, because uh, uh, we finally got over there. But, you know, you, you've got to take a stance that allows you to see both sides, whatever it is. It really doesn't even matter in today's life what it is. If you're looking at one side, you're missing out on something. You know, you're you're losing out on something. And even if the other, you think the other side's crazy, there may be something over there that they're right about. Uh, so you know, you got to watch. And and sci-fi somehow or another, throws that in your face. In a lot of ways, blatantly throws it into your face, and yet still gets away with it. And sometimes it even gets awards for. You and I couldn't do that If we did what some of the sci-fi shows did We wouldn't even be able to talk in the air anymore (laughs) They'd be like, oh no, no, you can't just talk like that But sci-fi does I guess because we accept it as fantasy Even though we know the politics of it Isn't I found that that always so interesting That a sci-fi writer Or producer can lay this out in front of someone That if I sat on the air and said it that way I would get hundreds of emails Probably thousands uh, either on my side or against me, but somehow they can lay these stories out and you'll get, you'll get into the story, you'll get into the fantasy. And even though you, you're fighting with the politics of the story, because that's part of the story, you don't really care because you really enjoyed the story. You enjoyed the outcome, the beginning, the middle, the special effects or the, or the artwork, whatever it may be. That's where you are. and for, and, and, I, and I like that they can do that. Sometimes I think, which some of them did. There's been some writers that have taken some responsibility and really tried uh, to incorporate stuff in there, uh, you know. And some of them, not so much. Some of them just wanted to write whatever they want. It's like uh, J.K. Rowling's. Uh, she made technically you could say there was politics, and you know, in all of those books. But really, I, I didn't find Harry Potter uh, to be that political. I mean, it was in the fact that they were fighting dark against light, but it really wasn't a fight against the government or anything along those lines or being held down and repressed or anything along those lines. It was just simply good against evil. So I guess for that sci-fi, they actually had very little politics in that. I'm amazed I said that out loud.
0: Yeah, there's there's some of the um, stories. There was one that was written by uh, Marilyn Hubbard called To the Stars, and it's based around time dilation theory where – the Hound of he- Heaven, which is a spaceship that goes out in space. But when it comes back, they've only aged maybe two years, but everybody on Earth is aged 30, 40, 50 years. I think I heard that. Yeah. And so every time they come back, there's a different uh, political regime. And it, 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 how a pendulum swings from ultra liberal to ultra conservative to very religious. And it just, each time they go and come back, is a whole different thing where it's just, you know, the pendulum as it, mm. as it goes back and forth on a political ideology as it as as earth grows. And it's really interesting how the author did that because it's just it's very it it makes sense how that does because you see it happening. You know, you see yeah. it happening right now as as politics on a very short scale you see it in America with the where you just have the two terminals, the uh the Dem Democrats and the Republicans, and it goes upwards of eight years, one and then it flips and goes the other direction again. But on a broader scale, politics on Earth is is not just Democrats and Republicans. It's, um, it's, it's much more broad and much more intricate and it creates its own uh, conflict there when you've got the Republicans or the Democrats trying to do their, their concept of democracy on the rest of the world, which either maybe doesn't want it or it doesn't that's fit right. for them or they don't agree that that's the best thing for well, them. You got,
1: what you got socialism, communism, monarchies, a couple of things in between that, and some work for some people, some don't work for other people, and it is, it is hard when you have some, something the size of the United States, you know, saying, hey, this is what you need to do, and I get in trouble all the time when I'm doing lectures, political lectures, because and the first thing to be out of my mouth, we're going to talk about America today, which is not a democracy. Oh, yes, it is. No, it's not. It's a republic. People don't get confused. The United States is a republic. It's not a democracy. That alone will start more arguments than anything I've seen. And then, no, it's a democracy. I said, no, we vote for our leaders, but our political system is a republic. So you don't have to take my word (laughs) for it. You can go read it for yourself. I said, no reason to get mad at the messenger. But people get so furious at me for even bringing it up. And, uh, you know, and then they say, and then they want to look around the world and see what this one is, what that one is, what this one is. You know, well, let's see. What is Canada and... Canada and um, well, technically Canada's a Commonwealth, actually, but we won't we won't count that <laughs> since shh, they belong to the Queen. Don't tell them that though. Canadians get upset when you tell them they belong to the Queen. Pseudo sure Australians, by the way. <laughs> but but uh, no, they're not a monarchy. What the hell do they call them? Uh, they're not a democracy either. I, I forgot what the hell they call them now. But uh, it's interesting because you know they have a government kind of like America. Way more restrictive, and I didn't realize that. I only realized that in the last few years because I have seven Canadian hosts on the network, and things we take for granted, ladies and gentlemen, they can actually lose rights where we can't on things. So I didn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't understand exactly how the Canadian government works. And like in America, you can't take a vote of no confidence and kick a president out in six months. That's just never going to happen. But you can check out a. a, a Prime Minister up there in six months. I know you can do that. You can do that in the UK too. So and in Australia, but not here. You can't. You could try to kick one out in six months, but it's just not going to happen. I mean, they'd have to do something insane to get impeached in six months. And there is Article Twenty Five, which isn't a, basically a vote of no confidence, but takes two thirds of the Congress. I mean, come on. No, I haven't seen anybody control two thirds of Congress. I'm, I'm almost sixty years old, and I don't think I've seen two thirds of the Congress controlled by one party the whole time I've been alive. Um, I don't know when you'd have to go back to find that. Maybe World War II or something, uh, when the Great Deal happened. I don't, I don't know, but it's it's been a long time. So that's why impeachments are funny to everybody on, in America. We just laugh at them because we know nobody's getting impeached. Uh, it's just it's just a word today. It used to have meaning back in the day, but today it's somebody told me that they they were screaming at me at election. A, a well, no, Nixon got impeached. I said, no, Nixon resigned. So like I said, he was never prosecuted. He resigned. Oh, no, I so said he resigned. Don't, don't get upset at me. I'm not the one who made him resign. And I said, technically, they impeached Clinton, but he didn't lose, just like they impeached Trump, and he didn't lose. So you can say they were impeached, but since nothing happened to him, it seems to be a moot a argument. You know, it's kind of a waste. Of, and each time we do this, in case I don't know, the latest gentlemen, it us $40 million. Since $40 million it could have been going to your community that we wasted on something that everybody knew was never going to happen, including the people. Uh, so that, that's just the politics, but you'll see that kind of stuff, like in Babylon Five, you'll see that carry over when they're trying to get rid of the leaders. You'll see that just in this series expanse. You'll see it in this where they were trying to get rid of a leader like this. So you'll see it in these different series, and so it does kind of it does kind of portray how America, not just America, is the world. That's one of the things I like about Babylon Five because it's closer to portraying how the world would be uh, as we get into the future, not just the countries. Uh, it really has a different layout. About you know, each 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 alien race would basically represent a, a government on this planet. It's an interesting series to watch, and uh, that and your boy uses quotes from some some of the greatest writers in the world, or uh, stuffed into that series here and there and there and here, and
0: yeah.
1: you know, so it's interesting. But uh, today's in today's world, the society the the um, special effects are average. Back then, they would have been good. Today, they would just be considered average. But um, it's still good to watch. And but I'm with John. I would start somewhere. There's a lot of good stuff that came out in the mid '50s. Um, get a chart, look through it. Uh, you'll be you'll be amazed at how much of that stuff still plays really well in today's world. Um,
0: well, there was a uh, Heinlein wrote this book, Starship Troopers, which. Um, yeah. Mike Heinlein wasn't, um, I mean, he was very pro-American. He was very much from the military. He was very much respected for that. And he was, I mean, he really, really respected the military and what it it was doing there. But Starship Troopers was pretty much one of the more controversial stories that he wrote because it was a world where citizens can only vote if they've served, where life as a soldier is being able to exercise that right is, is what's revered. So, you know, there's a definite... I guess with with politics in science fiction, you can play out a, a what-if scenario and just write it and take it out because it is science fiction. It isn't necessarily science facts, so you can you can make a, a statement and say, okay, now this is my, um, I'm proclaiming this or I'm stating this is my thesis, and the I'm going to write this in order to play it out to see how this goes. And so you see a lot of the science fiction will do that. It's interesting when um, one of Heinlein's good friends, Ron Hubbard, He wrote his uh, his book on final blackout, and there, Hubbard was accused of being a communist by fascists. He was accused of being a fascist by communists. He was accused of uh, being anti-socialist. It was just all this. It was it was pre World War II that he wrote it, but it was talking about the what if the war didn't end, and it was a uh, a concept of you know just it ultimately it was it would be the, the soldier on the ground that would survive a an a never ending war as the unkillables, but the political factions that were constantly going on trying to do one up on the other person, irrespective of what was happening to the the little man, the, the person that just needed to go on living their life. So I think that's something that's really important that people need to in writing science fiction politics is have a perspective. What are you trying to, to sell with this thing? What are you trying to communicate on this? That's going to give it a, you know, not saying, okay, I'm going to push for X or i I'm going to push for Y or push for Z, but tell a story, which gives how X handles, how Y handles and how Z handles. So that you can come up with your own perspective of the politics of that story or of that setting.
1: And I was thinking, because I was listening to some of L. Ron Hubbard's stuff the other day uh, coming back from New Orleans. I was actually finishing up a story uh, that I'd been listening to for about a day and a half. And, uh, and people, not a whole day and a half of y'all think I'm insane. I, I get to listen. I get an hour ride in the morning, an hour ride in the afternoon. So I'll usually plug in one and listen. If I don't have any calls to make them not work-related, I'll, I'll usually listen. And i just finish it up now. He does, he does get in the political side of some stuff in there. Yeah. And, uh, but he seems to do it in a very nonchalant way um it does well maybe that's not quite right because there's there's some places that's kind of bold in your face but for the most part it's an underlying part of the story it's not even though politics is there it's not the featured part of the story maybe they went to mars or the moon or or they were doing this or they were time traveling um, because there's i think there's there's three different time travel stories in there and um so he puts you in the future he puts you in the past and there is politics there, but it's underlying. It's, it's not the outright part. It's not slapping you in the head, uh, outright politics. Now, if you're paying attention and you're listening, then you're going to catch it. But a lot of people I notice on their first read of a book or their first watch of a movie, miss a lot of stuff. And, and it always amazes when somebody's watching something for the third time. They're like, wow, I didn't hear that. Wow, I didn't see that. Wow, I didn't. I said, well, yeah, because now you've heard all the stupid stuff or all the main stuff, I should say. Now your brain is actually looking and listening for different things. And it's the same thing with a good book. You read through it, even though you've read it. And I've watched people do this a million times. I've done it myself. I've read through and missed part of the story because I'm in a hurry to read through. or I've really gotten into it. I'm just reading at a faster pace than I should be. And um, so that's why a lot of times I go back and reread something uh, within a couple of days or a couple of weeks after reading something. I can read it a little faster, but there are times I find that I miss stuff at it. and and sometimes, like in a political thing, I may, how I can say this, politely glaze over it, knowing that it's something political, I might just, but a lot of times, if you do that, you may miss a good underlying part of the story, that you really need to complete the story. So I know people, sometimes you get turned off by politics, but out of all the genres that are out there, science fiction does it usually in a way that it's not offensive. It can be in your face. And it can't even make you want to take a, take a side. But somehow they manage to do it without getting people protesting in front of their movie theaters, calling up the writers, calling up the, the publishers, and just having fits with them. I don't, I don't know how, and I don't want to give anybody any ideas. But somehow or another, for the most part, of science fiction, and when I'm talking about science fiction, I'm not just talking about space genre. Uh, there are other genres out there that seem to be able to do this, You know, like time travel seems to be able to do it. Or some of the stuff like um, just recently, it wasn't, what was it? Um, oh, some dinosaur thing. But somehow or another, they had the dinosaurs, they had the people, then they had the tribes, and somehow they had uh, politics involved in all of it. And I guess the politics of living in a place like that, I guess there would be some some sort of politics. And, uh, you know, I guess you got to deal with the natives. or two different types of natives. I don't know what kind of politics you're doing with the T-Rex, other than shooting the SOV. But still, hey, Mister T-Rex, please don't eat me. That's not yeah. gonna work. Uh, but it's just so much of it in, in incorporated in everything we watch, and in a way, I kind of feel for our kids because they're being indoctrinated into politics without realizing it, because it is there. But in another way, I feel like it's early lessons to help you choose your side. And like, I don't really choose a side. I like being in the middle. A good friend of mine the other day said, you know what they said? If you're in the middle, you're going to burn. I said, I ain't going to burn. I'm just, I'm just fine up on the fence. I'm not getting stuck in no pickets or anything. I said, I said, I like being there because I've learned over the years is what I've mostly learned over the years is the left and the right, whatever side you're on. If you're far left or far right, you're usually wrong. Uh, you're usually into things for the wrong reasons. You're too far out there and you're not thinking about the majority of the people, which is the middle. Okay, you ought to notice, ladies and gentlemen, independence and centralists make up the majority of voters, 56%. So the, the parties don't control that much anymore, about 20%, but they have the money, so therefore they control the power. And that's also portrayed in sci-fi. You see that in a lot of, in a lot of different sci-fi. I was just watching an episode of a Voyager the other day when they go to this world and it's divided up, you know, through politics. You know, who they thought was better, who they thought was worse. A place that our world visited, I don't know, 100 years ago, 150 years ago, it wasn't necessarily slavery. They just they just said, you know, well, you're from this family, so you're down here, you're from here, you're okay. So it was a bottom, middle, and a hierarchy, but not so much the way you see it today. You know, if you were at the bottom, that was it. You would never get in any way. You could never get anything. Um, and it, it just portrayed it like that. And, and about 100 years ago, you could 100 years and back, you could look at our world and say that was true in a lot of countries especially in the countries that had monarchy. So, uh, you know, you see these in there and your kids see this in there and they get indoctrinated in this and it absorbs in their head. And, and hopefully it's lessons that they're learning that will actually better us in the, long, in the long run. And no, I'm not talking about the cancel culture because they're morons too. Um, you know, anytime everything is wrong, then you've got an issue. Uh, you know, I like my country. There's a lot of things I like about it. I'm not always happy with the politics, but I am willing to stand up for it and I am willing to get in the middle of it and say, hey, look, there are better ways of doing things. And I've learned over the years, compromise, a lot of times, is the best thing that can serve politics. And that's one thing you do see in sci-fi. Somewhere along in a the story, there will be a compromise so that the, the heroine or whoever it may be can get to the end of the story. Um, so you will see a compromise in politics there, which I'm hoping that ch- children have absorbed that over the years. That's in their head, and they'll learn that that's what we need today is compromise. We don't need nukes, we don't need a bunch of crazy people. We just need to take all sides to agree and move to the next step. All sides to agree, move to the next step. Uh, I guess you and I'll be long gone before that happens. But still <laughs> we can hope.
0: So <laughs> now you've been doing, you've done a lot of shows with um, the centralists. As both of those shows, you talked about the. News on the flip side and Central's so are those both politics?
1: Yeah, news on the flip side. News on the flip side was a way different show. So I hosted that with Stephanie Benetti. I was doing the Trump before Trump was president, and we did it up until he won. For about four years. This was a hard-hitting news show. It had four million followers. It was well on the way to getting several big syndications. Uh, so what we did on that show is we did the first hour, or the first fifty minutes it was just hardcore news. No opinions, just hardcore news. Then at The last 10 minutes of that hour was just a segment from one of our hosts that came on and did a particular news segment. Uh, Usually it had something to do with the environment or something like that. The second hour of that show was sheer satire. We made fun of everybody. I mean, of everybody, everything and everybody was just great. It was great stress relief. Uh, And then the end of that show was another 10-minute segment, uh, usually doing something with technology. The third hour was a little bit different. Uh, We had a a third host came on and it wasn't as much about opinion as it was just going over the stories that we talked about, adding anything in new um, and just really presenting it in a much more coherent way than you'd see on the regular news. And then the last hour was always international news. Uh, We always did an hour of international news The show was fabulous. It was fun. It was packed. Stephanie was a great co-host. We had a lot of good times doing the show. Uh, Unfortunately she's passed away now, but, um, it was, it was a lot of fun to do, showing the show was just nothing you had seen on, anywhere on, on the news. That's why it was growing at an extremely rapid rate because, you know, just put this in. So, you know, people give me trouble about Donald Trump and, and, and some of the other candidates. So this is, this was my exact point when I seen the GOP put their people up, 21 people. I looked up and I said, Stephanie, is that a duck? What the hell is that yellow clown? That, I, really, I was all over Donald, like white on rice. So, and then, so we're going on. So he he wins. I'm stunned that he won, by the way. I was just stunned. And so I'm still on him nonstop. And then Democrats went and Hillary's up. And I'm thinking, oh my God, the end of the world has come. (laughs) It's just just the end of the world. There's no doubt one of these two going to kill us and wipe us out. We did hardcore hit news on both of them. We pulled stuff out of their past that even NBC and CBS were scared to touch. Uh, We got into all sorts of stuff. I had interviews from women that had uh, may bring charges against Bill and Hillary knew about it. They had said that Hillary had came to them personally and paid them off. We had interviews with women that said Trump had done things to them. We had business dealers with both Hillary and Trump come on the network. And I actually got a call from CBS, NBC one time. They're like, how are you getting these people? We can't even talk to them. So we're offering them money and they come and said because they know they come in here we're just going to present the story as they're saying it. We're not going to doctor it. We're not going to edit it. We're going to put it out, what, what what they're saying and what we think about it. But that's how it's going to go out. I said, so that guest knows when he leaves that show, what he said is going out with no editation to it whatsoever. I said, you, can, you know as well as I do, if you're on a big network, I've done lots of TV people, not as much as some other people I know, but I've done a lot of TV. And it's never it's never what I exactly say. It's always been changed or some words have been put together and some words have been stretched out. And uh, it's, it's irritating. You know, it's, it's just, I did a local news, a, a local political show down here. And they tried to get everything I said and twist it to the left. So I called them and said, please remove it from your, your lineup. And they're like, why? I said, because it's not what I said. And they said, well, you can I said, oh yes, I have a copy of it and I'm going to play it. And I said, you either can correct it or whatever you want. So they got real mad at me, threatened to sue me all kind of stuff. And then I played the whole thing for the city. I played it over the city and I got a lot of phone calls and I said, well, they changed. I said, yes, they changed. I said, they always change. It. I said, big companies like that want have an agenda. And they, you know, I did another interview at NBC. I, I interviewed a big, big wig over there. One of their top show people until, until a couple of days ago, they weren't going to play. It's three years old now. They paid me big money not to play it. But I got a recent call lately that, um, Gonna, they might go ahead and play it. I'll tell you why I didn't want to play it. It's a very hardcore left liberal leaning host. Well, the interview she did with me, she came off more in the middle, even a little right than what she was actually doing on the air. So they got all paranoid. I got a phone call. Oh, Joe, you know, uh, we got an agreement with you. If you didn't like it, you can't. I said, yes, I understand that. And there was a, an amount of money agreed to it if it didn't air. But um, it's a shame because it really, it was her. It was her and her, I should say, her wife, and it was a great interview. They did a great job. They really laid their self out on the table for the world to see, and the big company said, we don't want the world to see it because they were scared it was going to cost them numbers. I mean, I understand why they did it, um, but you know, but they agreed to the questions. You know, when I do – anytime I do a really big interview with somebody, I will send them 25 questions, they'll send me it back, and I'll send it to them. We'll go back and forth usually a week or two, and we'll agree on everything, you know, and what's gonna how it's gonna be said, and we'll agree on everything. It's not that it's scripted, but it's it's like that. And it just comes out. And it's funny because while her and I were talking that night, she brought up sci-fi on five different occasions. She said, because of the politics of these shows, uh, I got into the news media. I mean, it was a great, it was a great interview, and I just didn't, didn't want to do it. It's like um when I did I did an interview at NASA. NASA had released these uh, little series of I don't know what you would call them. They were little cartoons, basically. And I had called up the interview them, and I said, why can't y'all be a little bit more um, straightforward in your science? I said, it's fine that you're doing a cartoon. and I know you're trying to get kids interested, but why don't you – I said, kids aren't as stupid as they look. Why don't you give them a little bit more of the science mixed into the series? Well, they thought it was a bad idea. Well, guess what? The series got canceled because it didn't do what? It didn't have enough science in it. I'm thinking, you know, you know, I'm thinking you should have listened. I mean, come on, I've been doing this a long time. You should have listened. But, and it's hard to get interviews with people at NASA, by the way. But everyone, I, and I got to be honest with y'all, I have never interviewed anybody at NASA, and I've interviewed, let me see, I've interviewed twelve of the uh, Apollo Gemini astronauts, and I have, I have interviewed about fourteen of the shuttle astronauts. And every one of them told me the same thing. I got into this because it's science fiction. I got into this because of science fiction. Now, get me, don't get me wrong, they all were quoting different TV shows. Some were like, um, you know, some would, would quote Star Trek. A couple of them quoted um, uh, the Twilight Zone. And not just the Twilight Zone, the other one, the, the other version of the Twilight Zone. Outer yeah, Limits? Yeah, Outer Limits. So a lot of them quoted because of stuff they seen on there. And they felt the science should be more correct. So they got involved, and matter of fact, I remember the guy who invented the laser. Uh, first time I ever heard him interview, I was young. I, wasn't, I was a teen. I wasn't even a teen. I was a popper. He said because he had seen a laser on Buck Rogers uh, way back when in the '30s, and he needed to invent one. And sure enough, he invented the damn thing. Uh, and it's not just that. Recently, they've got these new uh, hospital beds that have these monitors on them. And the gentleman who invented it, when he was asked, he said he got the idea from Star Trek. Yeah. So, I mean, sci-fi is a good thing, people, whether it's politics or whatever. It gets people involved, thinking in ways that other shows and other series just don't. I mean, you can watch a lot of garbage. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of stuff to watch on television today. I mean, really. Between the computers and your internet and your TVs, there's a lot you can watch. But how much of it really leaves you leaving satisfied? and feels like, yeah, it may have made a difference in someone's life. Just because it's entertaining doesn't mean it can't change someone. And uh, I actually talked to Michio Keiko about that. He agreed 100%. Um, You know, It it can change, and and a lot of things can. And there's a lot of writers who don't get credit for how they've changed society, including L. Ron. He doesn't get the credit he deserves for changing society. A lot of people, because of their writings, opened up people's minds, and a lot of different fronts and it changed the world.
0: Yeah, yeah, a lot of the things I think that science fiction you do too is um, satire, which on recent surveys we found out that um, the baby boomers and millennials will understand what, um, or rather Gen X will understand what satire is, but when we survey some of the people that were the uh, Gen X and millennials, they didn't, know I don't read satire, but we asked them, "Well, what about 1984 and all those things?" They said, "Oh, yeah, I've read all those things. Yeah, those are the classics, or those are comedy. They, you know, they think satire is like The Onion or uh, Saturday Night Live."
1: I, I'm not even sure if the Z. Jenners read. I got to be honest with you. I, I, I just, What's it that scares me? So I'm not even sure if the Z. Jenners read. Every now and then, I was given a, I was given a science fiction lecture about a, seven months ago, right in the middle of COVID. And about 200 Z. Jenners showed up. And we were talking about things that any normal person, even a millennial, would have known. And they were just lost. And they kept asking me questions What's this about? What's that about? I said, Obviously, you've never seen any of these. I said, So I said, I gave, before I left that day, I gave a big, long list of books and, and movies they should read. And I gave him my email. I said, well, Why don't you write back to me and tell me what you think? Out of the 200, 150 of them wrote to me and said, Thank Wow. You. And I said, I'd never seen any of this. I brought up 1984. They were like, well, what happened in 1984? <laughs> <It was> like, <laughs> I said, it was a boring year, but it was a good book. And they're like, wait, what? It's a yeah, it's a book. And I went through a couple of others. And uh, one girl said, Dune? Well, that hasn't even come out yet. I almost almost peed on myself. And I uh, said, no, no, baby, there's, there's some good dunes out there. I said, there's a lot of, I said, just because something's more than two years old doesn't mean it's not good. I said, because it's more than 40 years old. I said, you will be amazed at how much science fiction you can find. From 50 60 70 80 90 100 years ago that still holds up today and you know they forget how many great writers they were back in the day and you know I don't, somebody asked me the other day when did science fiction start i said oh i have no idea uh, i it officially when i looked it up it said 16 something i forgot the name of the book because a lot of people were given mary shelley it in the 1800s but this puts it back to, i think it was like 1690 or 1670. And I'd have to actually look it up again to see the name in a book. And I was like, I never even heard of it, so I went looking for it. <laughs> I was like, Well, I've never heard of this. I got to, I got to find this and read this. And, uh, and it was interesting to learn.
0: So yeah, with so with the the subject of of satire, it's um, that's one way of actually pointing out the foibles of pol- love is politics. You know that it, that it points out and it it shows the shortcomings of various whether they're their politicians or. A certain uh, type of politics but it's done by changing it you know like with George Orwell you put it way into the future so that you know you can kind of like people can look at it and have their own thinking of it but it, you know if you're in Britain at the time that he wrote it you won't realize he's writing about British politics there in British society yeah so and the same thing with you know these other brave new world from Aldous Huxley men High castle all these things here Talk about by changing the, the location or the time that they're able to actually point out some of the foibles or some of the, the shortcomings of various systems by changing the settings. So, like, okay, I can't say that it's right here and right now and these people here, even though all the descriptions or the the activities represent who that those people are. So that's something that, that science fiction is very known for and can actually effectively pull off but I'm just curious for yourself, you know, on, cause you've done so much working with, you know, Paul interviewing politicians and people about politics and interviewing the people who interview the politicians. So the best way to, to like communicate it from your perspective, cause you've obviously survived various, you know, firestorms on politics by still doing what you do. What's the best way you've been able to do it. And, and cause I know that, people are reading this they're listening to this podcast are writing science fiction and they've got their their political bents they don't be able to communicate how have you been able to do it to survive it and still live to tell the tale and continue talking about politics to weave it in
1: two, two things i do on a regular basis i'm very honest with whatever i'm talking about but i'm a big fan of satire i use satire even in politics like uh, Michael England and I will get on a show sometime, so we'll pick out like 10 stories we're going to handle that. Like this week, you know, we're going to be talking about Afghanistan and the border. But even in all that, even in all this de- deprivery that's going on, we will have satire woven into that. We will be cracking jokes about different things. So it keeps people's attention. So, in other words, if I was just to do the flat story on Afghanistan, uh, what's going on there, it would be five minutes. That would be all it would be. And people would either listen to it or not listen to it. So in the beginning of the show, we probably will do it, but then later on we'll be talking about different things that go along with what's happening there. So we'll we'll weave it in. And it's funny because both of us like science fiction. So we'll a lot of times we'll leave will weave in like a science fiction story with a little satire into the politics. People love it and people stay and pay attention to it. And I've noticed the younger audience, the millennials and the Z-Genners, have an easier time absorbing it. The older ones, you know, the the ex-genners and the and the boomers. They understand it for politics, for politics. But the younger generations pick it up because, one, it's it's not an hour long. It's 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 five or ten minutes. Uh, it's weaving in there. The satire is woven in there. The, the truth is still woven in there, but it's woven in with the satire. And people get and, and sometimes they get offended because we might pick on their particular you know politician. But we pick on everybody. That's what and now that's the truth. That is a one saving grace for me, because when I got into politics, I remember this guy wrote to me one day. He said, you are probably one of the most brilliant ufologists I have ever met in my entire life. He said, but when it comes to politics, you're the biggest more. He said, how can it be? I said, did you ever stop and think that the same research I do that makes me brilliant there actually is why I, I do here? And he was just dumbfounded. I like, no, can't be He's like, he could not be wrong. I said, no, you need to think about what you just said. I said, I got a big, huge a team of people that work with me on all of this. I said, none of them have the same political view, but yet sometime I, I managed to be able to keep them all together keep them all talking and all having fun at the same time. When we do a political panel show, there'll be seven or eight of us. Everybody on that show has a different political view from far left to far right, to independent, to central, to libertarian, to whatever. And somehow we can have a show be civil. Everybody can still get their point across and have a lot of fun while we do it because we'll pick on each other through the whole show. And all our audience does is grow. It doesn't shrink. It works really well. It's a good combination for me. Hopefully the mainstream media has never figured out because, you know, they don't do it that way and people enjoy it more. They have a lot more fun. They, matter of fact, a guy who wrote to us just the other day said, yeah, y'all make news fun. I said, well, you know, it's news. I mean, some stories you can't because they're just horrible, but, but some stuff you can actually make fun and, and pick on it. And Even hardcore stuff, uh, we, did a, uh, we did a satire on uh, – we did It was a political show, but we did – it was on abortions, but we did it with extraterrestrials taking people. And taking the kids so it was a serious show but it still had a little jump junk in there that people were like so it, it didn't make it unbearable for the people like the Z-Geners and the Millennials. The Z-Geners and Millennials are not to that serious level that you and I and some of the X-Geners have reached. We're older we've seen a lot of stuff in our lives so we actually know what's, what's right and what's wrong. But you know, when you're young, you've got hormones going and, and things flying around, and so I, I want to keep their attention. So I presented it in a way that you know they would enjoy watching it, and I've gotten lots of positive feedback on it. And since the stations adopted that in the last six or seven years, we had like 0.1 percent Z Gen and about three percent of millennials. That's way change. We're pulling about 14 percent of the Z and about 22 percent of millennials now. That's that's the same as we're pulling with the X genus. Well, I'm sorry, I went to baby boomers. So it, it's it's a comfortable group. People understand what we're trying to do. And since everybody in the network's versed in some type of science fiction, because of some of the other stuff we do, uh, it's on the, the other day we were talking about Jules Ferns. And a good friend of mine who teaches science at Harvard, I'm, I'm sorry, at Tulane, tells me, he goes, he goes, man, it wouldn't be for sci-fi. I wouldn't know diddly squat about it. physics. He said, I wouldn't know anything about science. He said, that's what did it for him. He said, when I first started watching uh, The First Generations of Star Trek, he said, it was all right. And then it went away. And I kind of got well, well, uh, he said, and my dad told me something. He said, you know, there's a library, son, why don't you go check out some books? And sure enough, he started checking out one book and the other book and then he realized he started things that was in that science fiction. He wanted to invent. He wanted to bring into the real world, not just, not just equipment, but attitudes, you know, because you know, a lot of sci-fi, once you move forward past where we are today a lot of the attitudes are we need to work together as a society to move society forward as a whole. Um, So that kind of stuff comes across, and I've been lucky. uh, Because I tell you what, there there are people that I know personally that would not mix with the other three shows I do in politics. They say it's detrimental to your career, but for mine it's not. um, Because I do incorporate it, you know. And don't get me wrong, John, I can do some hardcore news sometimes. But um, usually I'm going to, later in the show, I'm going to always incorporate some satire in there. And I'm a, I'm a, I'm a bring the point home, you know. But I want people to have a little fun while I'm bringing it. And, bring it and you'd be surprised how horrible some stories are that you can actually somehow make people smile after listening to it. Yeah, it's, it's a strange thing, but sci-fi is great for that kind of
0: stuff. It's just, Absolutely. It's
1: well, we were talking about um, what what's not Mission Earth, uh, the one with Travolta was it, it starring Battlefield Earth, Battlefield Earth, and we were talking about that one and and, and the remake all of all that. That you know that poor movie people the book is just just you, you need to read it because the movie just does no justice to it whatsoever it's a, it's not that the movie isn't fun and campy it is kind of campy and fun but it, it just it just oh there's so much lost in the translation and i didn't know a friend of mine kept griping at me about it he said no joe the movie was great but he said you got to read a book you got to read a book you got to read a book and, and you know well my friend started on me about that sooner or later as one of them's going to send me a book or they'll send me, a lot of times they'll send me an audio tape so they'll know I'll listen to it. But uh, an audio, whatever it comes in these days. but
0: So anyway, so this has been, um, I've, I've really enjoyed talking talking with you on this last hour here. And um, I think the, the three shows that you've got that people should should check on, it's on the United Public Radio Network. They just they just go to uprn.com, is that?
1: Uprn.com. Uh, you have been talkradio.com, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. UPN Talk Radio. And if you're going to come for me, you catch me on Friday doing science and beyond for the next five weeks because it's up for an award for people's choice. So we'll be doing a lot of science on there. It's science and beyond. So sometimes it's hard science, but we've done things like uh, we've talked about dark matter and different things like that, but we've also talked about like the uh, shroud touring and things like that. and A lot of other things that have to do with science, but also have alternative explanations. So you'll see a lot of that in there too. Matter of fact, John, the other John and I, John DeSable, we had, how can I say this? Many heated discussions <laughs> about this, but um, he has a he's got a PhD, I've got a bachelor's, so uh, I got a bachelor's in science, so uh, uh, we have a lot of fun talking about it. And uh, it is, and then of course, you know, always can catch me. Well, right now, on Wednesdays, we're doing the centralist, uh, that's what the centralist is, and on Monday, we do paranormal talk. But usually, on, on Wednesdays, I do UFO undercover, but it's kind of on hiatus right now because of where science and beyond, and, and of course. Uh, because of well a lot of other things going on, and don't forget on Saturday, I host with the lovely Michelle DeRochier on the Gray Zone Uncensored. Now I'll tell you a secret about that show. That show averages between two and three million listeners, but you can only get it on Saturday once it's done. You can't get it again. Eventually, it'll go back for pay for listen on on YouTube probably in about six months or so. But all of them right now, it's it's either listen on Saturday or not listening. We're doing time travel right now. Uh, it's it's been all I can say is it's been fun. Um,
0: That's great.
1: Yeah, we've been doing a lot, a lot, a lot of times. We were doing. Well, we had to do UFOs for a month because you know they had the big thing. The Pentagon's going to tell us the truth. I got cussed. I mean, I want a lot of money over this, but I got cussed by all kinds of people. I kept. I was doing shows all over the country. I'm like, no, they're not going to tell us anything. No, they. Oh, I bet you, man. I said, I bet you grand. They ain't going to tell us. Not. I bet you five hundred. I said, no, I'm telling you, they ain't going to tell us nothing. This went on, went on, and went on, and went on, and then they released, and of course, they didn't tell us anything. I think I got like 14 grand all altogether, uh, it was easy money. I was like, I, I had a guy in New York. He said, I'll give you my Mercedes. I said, dude, don't do that because you're going to lose your Mercedes. I heard his, his wife must have, been, must have been at home. No, baby, not the Mercedes. I started laughing. I said, "She's she told you, you don't know what you're talking about, not the Mercedes. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, the, and I'll say this before. I know we got to go, but. People, if you ever want anything from the government, if you want truth from the government, you have to give them something. Okay, they're not going to spill their guts on whatever it is unless you're given something. And whatever that something is is going to probably be amnesty for whatever bad deeds the government may have done in the past, that the people who've done them are probably dead now. If you want the truth, you're going to have to give them amnesty because the government has done things in whatever genre we were talking about here that they shouldn't have. And uh, they've experimented on people. They've done other stuff. You see that's in a lot of the sci-fi books, too. Um, you're going to have to give them amnesty. That's the only way you're going to ever get the truth. Because I'm not going to come out and tell you the truth. I know I'm going to do 20 years in jail. You can forget that. <laughs> that's not going to happen. Uh, and everything so compartmentalized these days. You're going to have to give them the amnesty to get to the truth. So just keep that in mind, young generation out there, because if you want to get to the truth, that's what it's going to take.
0: Well, uh, that's been amazing. Everybody. You're yeah, definitely not- going to... So thank you very much, Joe. And thank you for listening. Subscribe to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We've also been syndicated on the United Public Radio Network with Joe Montalvo himself, where you can find these podcasts as well by just typing in Writers of the Future. Again, I highly recommend you read the Writers of the Future series. They are, after all, who our judges have selected as the best of the best new writers and artists. They can be found at writersthefuture.com, at Amazon, or wherever you get your books. Writers and illustrators of the future are contests created by Elron Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer and artist to be seen and acknowledged. It is free to enter and open to amateur short story writers and artists of science fiction or fantasy. Again, thank you very much, Joe. Mm, thank you. Mm-mm.